You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings and salutations. My name is Mike Ufferman. I work with the Ministry of Zion's Hope. I've been with them since 2001, so it's been a few years now. And I'm definitely a pre-wrath advocate, which is one of the benefits of having worked with Marv Rosenthal on a day-to-day basis and his son David Rosenthal. And so today I have the privilege of talking to you about a pre-wrath topic of my choice, And so I think today we'll go ahead and start with some of the very, very simple basics, but not specifically uh, an area that you might consider a pre-wrath area. And the reason that I say that is because it's regarding the issue of two resurrections. I know one of the people, or one of the questions people have sometimes is the idea of two raptures, but I don't want to address that right now. We'll go ahead and address the issue of two resurrections And Scripture is very clear that there are two resurrections, and we'll get into that, and I think we'll do it in two parts. And so this one will deal with the first resurrection, and we'll make some more clarification on that here as we move along today. But the choice is really yours. One or the other, you choose which resurrection you want to be part of. Let's go ahead and start with a quick prayer. And so, Lord, we thank you now for the day. We thank you for just your blessing upon us and your provision for us in every way, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the homes we live in, the cars we drive, and uh, we're just uh, very, very blessed people. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for your word, the very word of God that allows us to get to know you and your character much better, and also to get to understand the end times much better as well, our future, our destiny. And so, Lord, I just pray that you give me the right words to say, and I also pray that you'd give everybody who's listening today, especially the one individual that I'm talking to right now, the uh, attentiveness and the alertness and the understanding of the things that I'm saying. And so, Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible out, you can go ahead and turn into the book of John, chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. Again, John, chapter 3, and verse 1. And it says, There was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was a religious ruler. He definitely should have known his scripture. And here in verse 2, it says, The same, that's Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, now here's the key phrase, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me repeat that. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that reminds me of the 1960s when I was growing up, the 1970s, that uh, people that we used to commonly call the Jesus freaks, they would come up to you and they say, hey man, you got to be born again. I remember back in those days, I had several friends that tried to tell me that I needed to be born again, and I really didn't understand what they meant. But studying Scripture, I definitely understand what they meant, and now I understand what it means, and I also understand that it's something that not only do I need, but we all need. 
Again, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Of course, that's a ridiculous question. But Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is explaining what it means precisely to be born again. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, in case that's not clear enough on how you must have two births, birth of the water and birth of the Spirit, Jesus goes on and he explains even more. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, equating that to being born of the water from the mother's amniotic fluid, the mother's water. And uh, the other part of this then is that you must be born of the Spirit. And Jesus says, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. In other words, we have to have two births. We have to have the birth in the flesh. In other words, physically be born into this world. And then we have to have the birth of the Spirit, a spiritual birth. And so I can remember, well, I don't actually remember, 1957, um, August 27th, as a matter of fact, 1957 was when I was physically born. That was being born of the flesh. And then that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Well, May 31st, 1981, in Central America, in the Republic of Panama, in a church uh, there in the little town of Balboa, I accepted Christ as my Savior. That's when I was born of the Spirit. So I have a physical birth date and I have a spiritual birth date. Just like you cannot say that you were born without actually having a birth date, you can't be spiritually born without having a spiritual birth date as well. There has to be an event, a time, when you accepted Christ as your Savior. You told him you needed a Redeemer because you were a sinful person, and he's the only one who can take away your sins. Now, I know my children, they got saved at a young age, and they're still saved today, and they always will be saved. Um, their life is committed to the Lord, and you can see it in their actions. But they don't remember the actual date that they accepted Christ as their Savior. But we have events that we remember for each of them. And I think I even wrote it down in their Bibles when they were kids uh, so that they would at least have a, a milestone, a marker, that says when they were born again, when they accepted Christ as their Savior, when they were born of the Spirit. So each of my children have a physical birthday, and each of my children have a spiritual birthday, as do I, and as do uh, does my wife. And it says in John chapter 3, verse 7, as we continue, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So that's a necessity. It's something that must happen if we are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard the, the phrase, the saying, born once, die twice, or born twice, die once. What does that mean exactly? If you're born once, in other words, if you've had the physical birth, but you haven't had the spiritual birth, you've only been born once, then you're going to die twice. You're going to have a physical death and you're going to have a spiritual death as well. Or if you're born twice, in other words, you're physically born and then you have become a believer, you're accepting Christ as your savior, you're born twice and you'll die only once. That'll be the physical birth, or excuse me, the physical death and you won't suffer a spiritual death. So born once by water, by physical birth, you'll die twice. You'll have a physical death and you'll have a spiritual death. But if you're born twice by water, which is the physical birth, and by spirit, 
which is the spiritual birth, you'll die only once. You'll only have the physical death. Something to consider in your own life. Because I want you to know that God does keep a record. He's got a record-keeping system up there in heaven. I'm not sure exactly if he does it on a Rolodex or if he's got some kind of a supercomputer or if he just has perfect memory. But God knows in whom he has placed his spirit. He knows those that are his. He does keep a record. As a matter of fact, Scripture does talk about him keeping a record in a book. If we look into the book of Malachi, in chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances. And God is talking through Malachi to the people of Israel, and he's saying, You've abandoned my ordinances, even from the days of your fathers. In other words, your ancestors also have gone away from my ordinances, and you have not kept them. Then God says, Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? So we've left, but where are we going to return to? And then God gives them some examples of how they've turned away. And he says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. And then they said, But wherein have we robbed thee? And God replies to them, In tithes and offerings. And so God's keeping a record that they've not given their tithes and offerings as is ordained in Scripture. We bounce down to verse 13 there, and it says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, When have we spoken so much against thee? And so they're in his face, talking against him. And he says, Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we've walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? So they're in his face, and God is giving them exactly what they've said. What good is it for us to serve God? What good is it for us to keep his ordinances? Why should we be poor in spirit, walking mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. In other words, those who do wicked are lifted up, and they that tempt God are even delivered. And God says in verse 16, Then... They that feared the Lord, actually Malachi is, is, is saying this as he's documenting, says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened. So you've got those that are the rebellious people who are confrontive, confrontive and they're in God's face, but then you've got they that feared the Lord, and they spake often one to another about fearing the Lord. And the Lord hearkened, the Lord heard, and he heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him. And this is where I was saying that God does keep a record, a book of remembrance to bring to memory those that hearkened, those that feared the Lord. And it was written for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And so we know that God does keep records. And verse 17 says, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day, in other words, in some special day, not now, but in that day, someday in the future. Keep in mind, this is Old Testament, and yet God is identifying someday in the future for those that fear, for those that pay attention to God's ordinances. In that day, God says, when I make up my jewels, or when I take up my jewels, or when I collect my jewels, and I will spare them. As a man spareth his own son that serveth him. 
And we know that certainly God is pleased with his son Jesus. And in the same way, for those that fear him, they shall be God's. And when he comes to take up his jewels, he's going to spare them. He's going to spare them, certainly from his wrath. So God records those those who are his own children and will come to collect his jewels someday. The Bible talks about two separate collections of those who are dead. It talks about two resurrections. We can look at uh, two different categories of people just to help us to understand that a little bit better. In Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12, it says, Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors. So this is talking to somebody who's speaking to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is saying, when you make dinner or some special meal, don't call your friends, don't call your brothers, don't call those who are your family, your kinsmen, don't call your rich neighbors. And his reason for that is, lest they also bid thee again and a recompense can be made. In other words, you're calling them to your house and you know that they'll invite you back to theirs. And so you know that they can pay you back. But he says, don't ask them to come to your home for that meal. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. In other words, call the people that nobody wants to call. Call the people that can't pay you back. And he says, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed Again, at some future event, and it says here, at the resurrection of the just. So, there is a resurrection specifically for those who are just. And Jesus just gave an example to the person who was going to have a meal or a supper, not to bring those who are wealthy in the family and those people you know that can pay you back and invite you back to their home, but instead invite those who are less fortunate, those who are poor or maimed and lame, because you know they can't pay you back, and you will be blessed. You will be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Very, very specific. But this I confess unto thee. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 24 and verse 14. Again, talking about the two categories of people, if you will. He says in verse 14, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, in other words, some people are calling the way heresy that I believe in, He says, so worship I, the God of my father. So I'm following that method that they say is heresy. That's how I'm worshiping the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. So what they're saying is heresy is actually me following the law and the prophets. This is what's being said in scripture according to Paul. And I have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow. So they allow following the law, following the prophets, and having hope toward God. And yet they're saying that what I'm doing is heresy. And then it says that there shall be a resurrection of the dead. And then he's identifying two groups, both of the just and the unjust. So there are two different categories of people, not just those who are the just who invite the poor to their suppers, But also there are the unjust, and he's differentiating here that he's following what God has said, he's following God's ordinances, and the very people who are saying that he's not are those who are the unjust, because they should recognize what he's doing is just. So again, we have the example here of the resurrection of the dead, both of the just 
and the unjust. Two distinctions or a distinction between the types of the dead. And something to keep in mind now that the resurrection and the rapture are not the same thing. Again, the resurrection and the rapture are not the same thing. There are two separate items happening concurrently. So we can see what that looks like as we look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the very, very common passage of 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll start in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And it says here, the dead in Christ, those would be the just, shall rise first. So actually, God does have a very exclusive club, if you want to call it that. I don't mean any offense, and I don't mean to belittle it, but it is an exclusive group. The dead in Christ shall rise first, just the same as those are the just who will rise first. It's an exclusive club. It's not all-inclusive. So this is the resurrection, the dead in Christ rising first. And then it says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And that is the rapture. So we've got two events happening concurrently. One is those who are the dead in Christ, those who are the just, those who are written in the book of remembrance, they will be brought alive. And then those that are, that are alive at that moment will be raptured. And so we have the resurrection and the rapture there at that moment. Verse 17 goes on and it says, Then together with them in the clouds uh, to meet the Lord in the air. So those who are resurrected and those who are raptured will meet together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so this is, and I'm going to put in air quotes for a moment here, the first resurrection. And actually the first resurrection is only for believers. Those who are the unjust are not resurrected at this point. And that first resurrection is a resurrection to eternal life. So those people that are resurrected at that moment, and I'm going to give a little caveat here in just a moment, but those that are resurrected will be those who are given glorified bodies. They will no longer have a problem with the issue of sin. And uh, other passages talk about that they will reign with Christ. Christ will rule the earth and they will reign with Christ. Now let's get into a little bit more detail regarding the first resurrection. And I put it in air quotes a moment ago, but now I'm going to give you specifics and I'll show you where it's mentioned in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. And so we have this angel that comes down and we'll give you the moment uh, when it happens here specifically in just a second or two. But we know that he lays hold of Satan and he binds him, it says here in verse 2, bound him for a thousand years. So we are at the beginning of the millennium when Satan is bound. Now, just because we see this and then the passage goes on and it says, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, just because we know that he's being bound for a thousand years. And then we also see that he's not going to deceive the nations for a thousand years. And that at the end of the thousand years, when that's fulfilled, that he must be loosed for a season. It does not mean that our timeline has moved forward a thousand years for the remainder of what's said in this passage of scripture. In other words, 
We see at the beginning of this thousand years that he's bound, he's locked up. We know what's going to happen to him at the end of the thousand years, but we have not moved forward. John, in what he's writing down here, has not moved forward in time. He can only see forward for a thousand years, but he's still at the beginning of the thousand years. And with that in mind, then in verse four, at the beginning of the thousand years, it says, I saw thrones. And they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. So who are these people? Well, the resurrection has already occurred, so those who are dead were raised, and those who were alive, that's at the rapture, were already brought up to heaven. So there are no people in the grave except for those that are unsaved at that moment in time of the resurrection and the rapture. But it says here, I see the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. These people are those people that came to faith after the resurrection and rapture. After that event that brought the great tribulation to a close for believers. However, the great tribulation continued for unbelievers. In other words, anybody who had not taken the mark yet, they were told in Revelation 14, don't take the mark. If you take the mark, you're going to be doomed. So there are going to be people, though, because they heard the first gospel angel that said, here's the true gospel. The second gospel angel there in, ver- in chapter 14, who says, come out of mystery Babylon, she's dead. The third gospel angel said, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. That's identifying that people will come to faith after that resurrection and rapture that we see in Revelation chapter 7. Well, if those people are coming to faith and they're not taking the mark of the beast, that's their statement of faith. If they're caught, they're going to be given the option, take the mark of the beast and you'll be fine. But they will say no, or at least many of them will say no, and they will be beheaded because of their witness for Jesus. That's the only reason they're not taking the mark at that point. And for the word of God. Verse 4 continues, and it says, And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their forehead or in their hands. And then it says here, And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So these people are coming back to life before the millennial reign begins. So we had the resurrection rapture event that occurred in Revelation chapter 7. And now here we are understanding that people have died. Some did not take the mark. They were beheaded. And now they are coming back to life before the thousand-year reign of Christ. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And it goes on and it says, But the rest of the dead, in other words, the unjust dead, lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So they'll come back to life at the end of the thousand years. But what we're looking at right now with those people who were beheaded coming back to life, this is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection is closed here. In other words, anybody who comes to life before the millennium, that is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And then it goes on and it says, On such the second death hath no power. So these people did not suffer a second death. These people were born again, died physically, were raised, whether well, and re- resurrected, before the millennium, whether it was at the rapture event and that resurrection there, or it's here before the millennium begins, this is the first resurrection. They will not suffer the second death, that death that will cause them to be cast into hell. 
but or and actually into the lake of fire. Uh, Revelation 20 verse 6 goes on and it says, But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So there we see the first resurrection, the first resurrection being anybody who came to life before the millennial reign. And there's a second resurrection, which we've seen that's at the end of the thousand years. But I think that we'll stop right here and we'll just remind you, you've been physically born, obviously you're listening to me. But have you been spiritually born? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? That's the question for the moment, the question that's so imperative for you right now. If you've been born, which of course we have, and have not accepted Christ as your Savior, you have not been spiritually born. Now, you can do that in whatever words, let's say, you choose. You don't have to say a prayer like I say, but let me give you a suggestion. You might say something that would include that you recognize that you're a sinner, that you've been one of those that has not followed just the basic ordinances of God. You haven't worshipped him. You haven't honored your parents. You haven't stolen. You haven't looked on somebody with lust. Just the basic Ten Commandments. I'm confident that somewhere in there you've committed one of those, which are the ordinances of God. And if you haven't abided by those, you're not perfect. You have sinned, therefore you're already bound for a fiery eternity. But you need to recognize, God, I have sinned against you. I've turned against you. I've turned away from you. I have not chosen to worship you. And I know that I'm a sinner and I need somebody to pay for my sin. And I understand that Jesus came the perfect son of God, and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, a death he did not deserve to take my place. He died a death that I deserved because I've turned against you. And I ask God, will you please, Jesus Christ, will you please be my redeemer, my savior? I accept you today as my savior. And then from now, Lord, forward, help me, please, though I I know I'm still a sinner, but help me, please, to abide more by your ordinances and to come closer to you, Jesus, to become more like you in the days ahead. Jesus, I pray this in your name because of what you've said in your scripture and what I've even heard today in this message. Amen. And so there you go. It's your words, not mine. It's because your heart means it sincerely, not because I told you to do so. And then next time we get together, we'll talk about the second death. And that second death is going to happen at the end of the millennium. And and though we choose to think that the millennium is going to be perfect, it's not. Uh, There will be sin in the millennium and there will be death in the millennium, though the Lord does take care of most of the issue of death during the millennial reign. Anyway, this is Mike Ufferman, and I hope you'll tune in the next session. And I bid you a farewell. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 